Welcome back to Wayward Muse. It's been too long. I missed y'all. I'm part of the opening team at Claudia, a fine dining restaurant and bar by chef Trevor Teich. Tickets for October go on sale on Monday. It's going to be amazing, unique, precise, elegant, nuanced. 10 and 15 courses, October, tickets on sale Monday. I get it. Y'all are like Steven. Could you just shut up and get on with a podcast where we get to learn everything about restaurants and bars from around the world? Okay, I get it. Let's dive in. Ninochka Gandula, lovingly known by her peers as Nino, has been a professional in the spirits industry for over a decade. Born in Puerto Rico, her career has taken her through such notable places as Dragonfly and one of my personal favorite bars on earth, La Factoria. She is now the U.S. National Ambassador of Ojo de Tigre, Mezcal Artisanal. Nino, thank you so much for joining us at Wayward Muse. Thank you. Thank you guys for the invitation. How are, how are you doing on the on this beautiful day? Well, at least it's beautiful here in Chicago, which is a very rare thing. <laughs> so I'm down in Texas and it, we've had a couple of thunderstorms. It's been a sunny morning, but there might be some thunderstorms again tonight. Still doing good and, you know, taking all the time you can always at home. As a U.S. national ambassador, you obviously roll around to a lot of different places. An interesting journey through your career. Could you tell us how you began in the industry? Of course. So I actually uh, never thought that I'd end up in the hospitality industry. Um, I started in working my way through college. Um, I was a server at various places, and it wasn't until I was like in my third or fourth restaurant that I first had the opportunity to be behind the bar. And that's really where I started to look at the hospitality as something that could be a career. Um, as it happens in many places, um, I've always loved hosting and learning exactly what I can offer to my guests. So I knew a lot of uh, the cocktails that were served and what they had in them. Maybe not measurements, but at least ingredients and what they should taste like. So. One day, one of the bartenders didn't show up and um, I ended up behind the bar making some drinks and had literally one of the best times in my life. Um, I've always loved, uh, you know, showing people and being able to do something that kind of creates a, a connection between what they're having and the conversation that you're having with them. And the bar very much gave that to me. Um, and while after that night, I just wanted to keep learning and searching. So I started looking through seminars and things that I could do to learn more about uh, bartending and the bar and liquors and different liquid uh, things that you could do. And that ended up uh, with me eventually finding my way into being uh, somebody that pretty much was doing stage and wanted to pretty much come in as an apprentice at La Factoria. Speaking of seminars, are there any that you would recommend to, you know, someone who might just be starting out? Like for me personally, when I was just like trying to explore the bar, like I took the Bar Smarts courses and I found those really useful. Definitely Bar Smarts Online was definitely one of the first ones that I also took. And I think it's fantastic as an introductory kind of style. And then obviously there's the presential one, which is a little more intense. Uh, also, 
um, WSET. Uh, they have different levels, whether you want to start with wine or if you want to just specialize in spirits. And that one is also fantastic. But I always also love just being able to do things like Tales of the Cocktail, Portland Cocktail Week, and just anything that could offer me education and for me to go further in than just, uh, you know, what certain spirits were or certain cocktails were. Was there any like, because in the seminar, there's sometimes like this aha moment um, that you get where like, it's almost like you're on like hacking through the huge world of, you know, the spirits. Um, like for me, when I found out that basically there are only six cocktails that kind of blew my mind and yeah. considering how many different ones there were, was there a moment like that for you too? Uh, that was definitely one of the first ones. And I think then for coming from a bar that like La Factoria, uh, we had to do a lot of speed cocktailing. So it was all about also learning techniques like, you know, doing, try to do everything one touch. Like if you touch the lemon juice make sure you use it all the times that you need to in every single cocktail you're making in that round and the same thing with simple syrup or any modifiers and then obviously your um base spirit uh that was definitely something that i was like huh and changed a little bit of my style of bartending and then also just keeping it simple is always i think great there are um, a lot of great techniques out there, but keeping your cocktails as simple as possible sometimes is just better than anything. Just using good, good ingredients. Yeah, you must have learned so many lessons at La Factoria. <laughs> could you, could, for people who don't know, it's this giant, sprawling mass of so many amazing different spaces. And like every time you walk into a different room, you're like, I'm in a completely different place, but it's all in the <laughs> same building. Uh, one of my favorite rooms there is the one that was like carved out of the the wall and it's just like this little tiny like mezcal nook. Yeah, um, it was actually, I believe, the wine. That was either the wine room or there was another one in the back that was also um, kind of more dark. Uh, so the way that it happened, it's, they started with this piece of the building that used to be an old bar known by a lot of artists and kind of like bohemian uh, style of fellows back in our like parents day uh, mm -hmm. called Hijos de Borinquen. And uh, once, you know, the family, the generation that was at that moment with it, they kind of were not very into that wasn't really what they were passionate about. So they were looking to sell or rent the space. Uh, Roberto Verdecia and Leslie Cofresi, along with Pablo Candela, kind of took over the space and it just started kind of like as a modest cocktail bar, you know, people living up like their ambition to really create a cocktail scene that was in President Puerto Rico after everything that they had been through. They had been in like competitions like world class and things like that. And that's uh, where a lot of, you know, that education came from. And then it was just a bunch of other kids that we really wanted to learn more about cocktails and, you know, learn all these techniques off of them where it all started. Then from there, they ended up uh, buying the building. And that's how each room kind of started to be, because as we were growing, we needed more space for dancing or for storage or for cooking. And then every room kind of started coming to life on its own. So the first one was the main hall that you entered through, which is kind of like a speed cocktail bar. Then it was the little wine room that it, I think it's the one that you're, you probably gives you that like 
tiny mezcal spot. Mm -hmm. And then there was like the live music space that was kind of bigger so people could dance. And then there was another little nook in the back that um, kind of turned into like a more classic cocktail spot. That was the one I was talking about. I think I just probably had a mezcal cocktail and it was spectacular. Probably did. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a beautiful little like cocktail maze almost. Like, and it's, it's, well, it's a dangerous place because you're like, I want to experience something from every single room at least twice. And that's, it's a scary, beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think more than that, I think that although the people could only feel that while working there, I think, and I can, I feel like I can speak for most of the crew. We felt like there was a magic that we all got to really do stuff that we wanted, play around with liquids, with techniques. And it also, at least to me, gave me, you know, the long haul look at actually wanting to know that I can be in a career in spirits and then grow from a bartender to also want to educate, you know, new generations and, and also educate, you know, your consumers. Cause if they don't know what they're asking for, you don't get to really play with all these things. Cause at the end of the day, if there's no profit, we can't pay off everything. So it was a blend of a lot of things that, you know, I, we kind of all matured with what was going on also there. there so many things to cover there. Um, <laughs> I guess what it, my biggest like wonderment of that place would be is a lot of times in spaces like that, it can almost feel carnivorous. Were there like lessons that you learned um, working with this concept to create a separate style so that way people could experience things and not just like, oh, stop in this room and not continue their journey? Yeah, I think um, the way that we didn't cannibalize like each other within having, you know, four bars within one space was that each bar kind of had its own style and story. So like I said, the front bar was kind of like the first idea, which was to create, you know, all of these twists on uh, classic cocktails, but that were easy to expedite. And then the wine room kind of became wine, but also creating cocktails that told the story of wine and uh, of lower ABV cocktails and how wine has been used in cocktails overall. And then the same thing with uh, the classic and the like, you know, the live space was more for like refreshing drinks. And it was also getting people that were really, really into making those style of drinks. And to be honest, uh, you know, they have this formula where everybody that gets trained there really gets really pumped up and really gets really creative. And it's all about creating that relationship and really loving the space that you work in. So I think that's part of the success, but I think also, you know, I haven't been there now in a while. So, and they're still, you know, going. So I feel like they're always reinventing and looking for new ways to add that really can bring more people and new generations and, you know, a diversity of people in there. Yeah, it seems like with the that kind of program, everyone can really find their niche. Where mm -hmm. did you fall in your style of cocktail creation and uh, where do you fall now? So part of, again, being part of that bar, we got a lot of education and we got to travel a little bit. So I truly do love a lot of different spirits, but I found also a lot of my calling, you know, being that I really enjoyed being Latin, being a Latin woman and playing with a lot of different things that 
sometimes people think it's tiki, sometimes people think it's tropical, but it is all about really finding things that you find your story within. So I fell in love with Latin spirits. And when I mean that, I'd say I love rum, I love mezcal, I love my uh, tequilas, I love like piscos, I love just learning a lot more, you know, about all these different styles of spirits that are made in Latin America that, to be honest, really resonate with me and kind of like get me really inspired to tell stories that sometimes are not told in spirits. My style of making cocktails, to be honest, it's I like keeping it, like I said, simple. Um, I like playing with fresh ingredients. I like truly trying sometimes to even just open up my pantries are my friends' pantries and looking what's there and trying to come up with stuff with what I can find handy, which is like kind of very pandemic style, but it's just mm -hmm. something that is just easy. And everybody always has something that you maybe never thought of that you can transform into a beverage. So that's that's how I kind of interpret cocktailing. It's kind of like gorilla, like whatever's around me, I'm pretty sure I can find something I can make a drink out of. That's how a lot of people start out too. It's like, and to be able to hold through that and carry it through your career, because sometimes people get lost and like, oh, I just want to use exotic ingredients that no one's ever heard of. And they <laughs> have to like spend all their time like running around and, uh, you know, finding certain, like I'm guilty of that. Like I was running around trying to find Pondon all over Chicago. We all are. Eventually, we all are. yeah. <laughs> and it depends also where I'm at, like, especially now in the position that I am, that I get to be in in different states or sometimes, you know, get to go back to Mexico. I like to, I always like to try everything, but mm -hmm. whatever's around me and fresh and local always, you know, will very likely make the most awesome drink. And you really get a sense of place from it too. And I think that's especially true of the spirits that you listed, like Pisco, you just get this beautiful sense of terroir from different regions and different varietals that I find really impressive. Totally. and. Again, I I like every single spirit. I guess it just depends on how you feel, but there's always something that makes me be a little bit more excited when it comes, especially from like, you know, other Latin countries. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely understand that. I feel the same. I, I guess I just spend a lot of, I grew up in the Southwest. So tasting through things like Bacanora, that was like my, the gateway, gateway agave drug for me. It was yeah. like, oh, it's not just tequila. And then before I knew it, I just couldn't stay away from mezcal. Yeah, for me, I started with rum and rum. I mean, I'm from Puerto Rico, so rum mm -hmm. is like your first love. And then, you know, again, branching out and starting to travel, that's where you, I kind of started just trying other stuff and just wanted to be able to, you know, talk about our culture and the things that make us similar. And, um, you know, just talking about, uh, I think, I, Latinos were very, very particular in the way that we like to celebrate and the things that we like to honor. So um, I do feel bicultural in a similar way because Puerto Rico is very much influenced by the U.S. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I still love my music and my my food and sometimes I talk loud. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Puerto Part Rico is such a, an amazing place and has such a, a rich culture. It's yeah. so unique. Yes, it's a blend of, you know, the the colonization of the Spanish and then, you know, our endemic Tainos and then, um, you know, all of this American culture, like, and we still, you know, speak Spanish in the island. So it's a very unique blend of a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to go back. It's a really amazing place. Yeah.
to continue, I mean, you spent time in La Factoria, but now you've moved on to being a, a U.S. national ambassador of, of Mezcal Ojo de Tigre. What has that journey been like, and what do you find uh, your career like day to day? Sure. So I started out uh, leaving La Factoria, working for a rum brand, and went to Texas for a while. After that, I moved to Chicago, actually, and uh, worked with some spirits and worked back at restaurants. And then the pandemic hit. But during the pandemic, you know, I always you always have friends that you keep in touch with. And there was an opportunity to represent this mezcal that's new in the States, but they've been uh, already a while in, in Mexico. And I follow a couple of uh, the people that are uh, behind the spirit and got the opportunity to interview and be with. Now part of the company, part of Ojo de Tigre, a, my position kind of is a little bit of all trades, if you want to look at it. So I get to help our marketing team and really, um, really giving them an understanding of all of the processes behind the spirit and also a little bit of, um, you know, being the expert behind the agaves and how everything is done. Looking that every messaging that we put out there is also something that really resonates with who we are as a company and what really people from the trade and consumers, you know, look at. I'm kind of like the eyes and the ears. We look to try to connect, you know, all of them with us. And then we also look for strategies on how to create delicious drinks and experiences so that um, everybody really can enjoy this mezcal and get to know about it and, you know, find their own journey that we can go together through. And then a little bit of my job entitles all of that and also, you know, waking up early, going on to market visits, uh, being hosting activities and events, um, also educating, doing staff trainings. So educating myself to also be able to, you know, have the latest and best information so that I can share that with everyone. So it's a little bit of everything. You're kind of like literally the breathing brand. Uh, mm -hmm. But I also get to be me, which, you know, it's something that's magical. When, when you do something that you're passionate about, you kind of don't see it as work. Yeah. It, it's so really unique not too. <laughs> never not working. <laughs> it, I think it's special when that happens too, because you just have to line up with the right product. I, I feel, or at least from the other ambassadors that I've talked to, and when yeah. that it just meshes really well, and you're really happy to be, you know, promoting something. That's a beautiful. Yeah, thing. yeah. It's like you know, you know the personality of the brand, and you kind of know where to integrate yourself and where to integrate others. Um, and it it truly is all about finding that right fit. And I definitely am very happy every day to talk about Ojo de Tigre and to also just talk about culture and talk about all of the different things of how we can all come together. You know. So let's talk more about Ojo de Tigre. What makes the process that they do unique? I, I, I'm complete, I haven't learned a lot about this brand, so I'm coming at this as a novice. I'd love to learn more. Awesome. Well, Ojo de Tigre is a relatively uh, now new brand in the U.S., but it's been, uh, it was, it, it's three years old uh, in Mexico. 
It's a mezcal artesanal, the name translate into the tiger eye stone, which internationally means uh, good fortune. And Ojo de Tigre is a mezcal that is made with two types of sustainable agave from two different parts of Mexico, the Espadín from Oaxaca and the Toala from Puebla. Um, we use these blend of cultivated agave that really creates a spirit with a very unique characteristic. It has herbal notes along with like citrus and fruit notes. Mm -hmm. And then you get also like a lot of earthy umami flavors from the toala. And since obviously the, the agave is cooked underground, you also get a little smokiness, which is very uh, characteristic in mezcal. And uh, all of this kind of showcases a little bit of a subtle, elegant smoke with a lot of bright flavor, like I mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, I love that everything all of the process is ours in the sense that we cultivate the agave, we harvest the agave, we shred it and we, you know, mash it and ferment it and do everything is done by hand. So it's truly artisanal. And that we are also making sure that we have agave for the future. So we're not just taking everything from the earth, we're putting stuff back in the earth to make sure that we maintain, you know, a sustainable um cultivation and way of having uh our main material and then our bottles are also uh recyclable or reusable um we use all of these beautiful bottles that also resemble the amphoras or like the little um flasks that they used to do in the past that they used to put in their pockets or in their um little shirts and they would go out to the field and at a certain point they would share mezcal or a beverage so it's one of the approach that we also have you know with our smaller bottle resembling that tradition and i love the brand because it's a brand that we definitely believe in inclusion and we believe that mezcal is for everyone and mezcal can be drank at any moment with any celebration with whoever wants to really share that great wealth of fortune with you. I mean, I'm all here for it. Anytime is a great time for mezcal. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's mezcal o'clock right now. Pretty much. I just have to finish my liquor count, but then I think I, I can indulge. <laughs> uh, a question about the tobola. Is that wild harvested or? Yeah, we are, we harvest both. So yeah, even our tobala that's a little rarer and harder sometimes to mm -hmm. um, cultivate, we do that in Puebla. We have a huge kind of like space that this family, the Aron, the family, the Alba family, Aron Alba being the maestro mezcalero, they um, plant these agaves in a couple of hills and areas that they have that they do thrive and it's beautiful. Well, that's amazing that you're also replacing those because that was always the or was one of the fears as uh, mezcal continued to grow that some of these, you know, hard to find smaller um, varietals of agave would, you know, be potentially eradicated because everyone like my favorite varietal is tobala. It's just amazing the different flavors that you can get from it. One can almost taste like a martini and then the other one could literally taste like a piece of prosciutto and it's just. Yeah wild the flavors you get from it but because it's so hard to cultivate 
or there's such a like a, I guess you would say um I think with the toala also because so this agave doesn't like to compete with anyone for like water or minerals so mm -hmm. where wherever there's a lot of vegetation it doesn't like it that's why it normally grows off like hills or just weird spaces and I think what they're doing um in Puebla is really beautiful because so they uh take all of these um uh, fertilized seeds they will you know sparse them in an area and once the agave start getting a little big they'll 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 be transplanted to an area where they will have enough space for itself and that there's really not a lot growing there mm -hmm. so that they really do thrive and that's why it's been great and easy for us to um cultivate this agave but um it, it all, it's all about the land and the space that you have we have really a great team behind all of this researching and really making sure that all these plants and all this land really is going to be sustainable in the long haul not just right now well, that's a product I can definitely get behind. Um, yeah. For our audience, uh, what uh, markets are you in? What states? So at the moment, uh, we're not nationwide yet, but we are in California, Illinois, Texas, uh, Colorado, New York, um, Louisiana, Florida, and I hope I'm not missing anything else right now, but uh, I will sure, surely be expanding soon. Um, like I said, we, we kind of launched like right at the end of the pandemic. We're kind of about now seven mm -hmm. or eight months old. So look out for us little by little. We'll, we'll keep taking over. Well, I love to see that. I'm happy. I'm in Illinois. I can't wait to yes. find a bottle and have a try. I'll make sure to try to get you a bottle out there. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. So in life, a lot of the times we're influenced by our other passions. And for example, like for me, being able to speak with different people around uh, the country about our industry is one of, you know, brings me great joy. Are there things in your life that have influenced uh, your time in the industry? Yes, um, for me, it's kind of a blend of a blend of things, maybe two that stand out right now for me, but I'm sure maybe um, um, there might be others, but definitely traveling, getting to know new spaces, new cultures, getting to try new food and, and just seeing how other spaces and places work is uh, one of the things that really inspires me a lot. And then secondly, I, within those spaces, try to look for art, whether it be sculptures, paintings, fashion, music, or just especially interactive art. Uh, that's something that brings me a lot of joy. I always try to find an hour or a couple of uh, hours of space for me to be able to go and explore and kind of internalize, you know, all of these spaces and the messaging that might be there within the art, whether it be political or just for fun or for different reasons. And, you know, just trying to, as a human being, understand others. And, you know, I love discovering. Um, I, if I can, 
if I can cross off my bucket list, see most of the world, I will be, I will die a very happy person. So I'm, I'm in a fortunate state where I can do that. And I can share a lot just because hospitality at the end of it all is what I like to do. I, uh, I feel that personally as well. Like during the whole pandemic, I felt so cooped up because all I wanted to do was like cross off new places to, you know, see and experience. Was there like, because like for me, for the whole like 2020, I just wish I was back in uh, like the north of Spain and just yeah. chilling there with, you know, white wine, relaxed vibes and tapas. Was there like a place for you that you were thinking about during the pandemic that you were like, oh, when the when our travel restrictions are lifted, I'm getting on a plane to go to blank. Wow. Um, so what I did, I did want to travel during the pandemic i think i had various places i definitely wanted to go back to mexico or i also love like asia like uh maybe like bali or just anywhere in china but during the pandemic what i did to kind of like scratch that itch was we would just get in a car and go drive and we went and discovered like I know probably not as popular states, but like Iowa or like mm -hmm. Wisconsin or just anything that was around me while I was in Chicago mm -hmm. and went and looked into, you know, just went and looked at like farms from outside and just uh, sculpture gardens or botanical gardens or anything that was out in the open. Um, it, it's definitely never enough than seeing, you know, another culture or another country, mm -hmm. but it was the only thing I had. And at least I can say now that I've been to those states. So, yeah, that's the great way to have gone about it. I'm looking forward <laughs> to being able to whip out my passport and be able to get some more stamps. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. I have to wait a little bit longer, I think. Well, that, that brings us to the end of our time. I, I always close out by asking uh, a question that I've been pondering. Um, considering what we've been through through this crazy year are there things in the industry that you would like to preserve and things that you might want to consider should be changed considering the pandemic i definitely want to preserve obviously um you know creating those programs that people get to really be mentored i think that's something that we should always keep um and then definitely want to keep anything like tales and all of these like things that gather us and let us get educated together and get all of us to network and get to know each other. Um, and then change. Um, I, I'm glad that there has been a lot of uh, talks during the 2020 about, you know, a lot of different things that we have to change where there is uh, with inclusion, with race, with being more tolerant of just each other as human beings. Uh, I'm glad that those spaces have opened up and I don't want that to change for like for sure. I want more of that. I think we need to really change a lot of structures within hospitality, whether it's um, pay gaps or just the way that people are getting paid. And I want that those topics to be there so we can really create more people that want to be in this as a career and not just as something that they do to pay off, I don't know, school or something and nothing wrong with that, but we need more people that want to be in hospitality as a, as a career. Yeah, especially at least in my market, uh, it has been 
crazy to see how many people everyone's trying to like blame it on unemployment but it really is a lot of people are you know they went back to school they decided the amount yeah. of labor and the lack of respect that they could receive at certain institutions wasn't worth it totally um, and i think also you know a lot of us i think it's a career that a lot of times patrons and I don't want to say every owner, but corporations and different structures forget that we also want to have families. We also want to be able to, you know, grow as human beings. Mm -hmm. And we're not just, you know, you know, people that just can be at work at all the time. So we need to definitely look at these structures and see how we can create a more sustainable way of being for um, the service and the hospitality industry.